In a moment, I'm going to read Luke 22, 39 to 48, but as the title of the sermon is The Lord's Prayer in Gethsemane, I thought it would be good to pray the Lord's Prayer. So I'm going to say the Lord's Prayer and would invite you to join with me in the words. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. Let me hear from the word of God in Luke chapter 22, verses 39 to 48. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? he asked them. Get up. And pray so that you will not fall into temptation. But while he was still speaking, a crowd came up and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Jesus spent so much time in prayer. You see that clearly in Luke's Gospel. The first time you see Jesus as an adult in Luke's Gospel, he's praying. It's when he's getting baptised. And as he prays, heaven is open and the Holy Spirit comes down on him in the form of a dove and a voice from heaven says, You are my Son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And as you go on through Luke, time and time again, you see Jesus at prayer. Luke tells us he often used to withdraw from the crowds and go off by himself to a lonely place so that he could pray undisturbed. The night before he chose the twelve apostles, he spent all night in prayer on the mountainside. Sometimes he prayed alone. Sometimes he prayed when his disciples were with him. It was on one such occasion that he asked them who the crowds thought he was and who they thought he was. And it was then that Peter recognised that this man, who they spent so much time with, this man was the Christ of God, God's anointed saviour and ruler. Another time he took just Peter, James and John with him and he went up a mountain to pray and they were there and that's when they saw him transfigured and glorified before their very eyes, and Moses and Elijah appearing and and talking with him. 
His disciples saw him praying all the time. That's why one of them asked him, Lord, teach us how to pray. John the Baptist taught his disciples. We can see how much prayer means to you. How should we pray? And that's when Jesus taught them what we know as the Lord's Prayer. It's shorter in Luke's Gospel than the version we know. In Luke chapter 11, it goes like this. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. In the Garden of Gethsemane, we see Jesus praying again. He'd gone there with the disciples to pray. That was one occasion when he, you know, he wanted them praying with him. He needed some space, so he went a few yards away to pray in private. He urged them to spend time in prayer by the, themselves. But the only one praying in the garden that night was Jesus. The others were so worn out with grief they couldn't keep their eyes open. But as we see Jesus praying in the garden that night, we can see how what we know as the Lord's Prayer was so close to his heart in the last 24 hours before he died. And Luke of the different gospel writers perhaps especially draws our attention to this. Starts with the simple way he addresses God as Father. That's how he said that we, as his followers, should address God. From the wording of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew's Gospel, we're more familiar with the, the more formal and liturgically developed way of addressing God as our Father who art in heaven. But in Luke's Gospel, the Lord's Prayer just starts with Father. And when Jesus prayed, he just addressed God as Father. And he tells us to do the same. So when the 72 come back full of what they've seen God doing in and through them, he addresses God as Father and praises him as Lord of heaven and earth for revealing the kingdom to little children. Yes, Father, he says, because that's what you wanted to do. That was your good pleasure. On the cross, he prays, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. As he dies, he prays, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And here in the garden he prays, Father, please change your mind. Take this cup away from me. But it's got to be what you want, not what I want. You know, when you compare the different versions of the Lord's Prayer between Luke and Matthew. In his Gospel, Matthew has the double phrase that we know so well when we pray the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Luke just has the first phrase, thy kingdom come. doesn't talk about thy will be done in the Lord's Prayer, but he does here when Jesus prays it personally for himself. Father, your will be done, not mine. So it's there in Gethsemane in Luke's Gospel, but not in the Lord's Prayer. What do we make of that? Quite possibly Jesus himself varied the wording of the Lord's Prayer. He didn't always say exactly the same words every single time. So perhaps sometimes he included the line about God's will being done, sometimes he left it out. 
or maybe the line God included in Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer because people knew that this was how Jesus prayed in the garden. We, we, we can't tell. But that Jesus prayed in this way reminds us that prayer is less about, what, less about getting God to do what we want and more about him getting our wills into line with his. Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And bringing our wills into line with God's can be costly sometimes. It was immensely costly for Jesus, wasn't it? For him to go to the cross was an act of obedience that he would far rather have avoided, if at all possible. Your will, not mine, be done. Very difficult very costly prayer to pray. Let this cup pass from me. But what you want, that's what matters, not what I want. And it wasn't possible for that cup to pass from him. It wasn't possible for him to avoid the cross because only through his death on the cross would, would it be possible for God's kingdom to come. Praise Father, your kingdom come. Well, that meant Jesus taking upon himself all the sin, all the suffering, all the evil and injustice and pain of a world gone badly wrong. So that through his resurrection, God's kingdom should be released into the world in grace and love and hope and power. Your kingdom come meant Jesus dying on the cross. God's answer to the problem of evil is for Jesus to embrace evil in all its horror at the cross and take him with it to the grave. So again, that line in the Lord's Prayer, deliver us from evil, we find in Matthew's Gospel, but, but not in Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. And how could Jesus have prayed, deliver us from evil in the Garden of Gethsemane when he knew that that night he would be handed over to the, to the destructive power of evil, tortured and broken by it, nailed to a cross, apparently vanquished by the powers of evil, only to emerge victorious over evil on the third day. For him it wasn't a matter of being delivered from evil, it was a matter of embracing evil, being crucified by it and thereby overcoming it. So how hard do you think it was for him to rehearse those well-known words in his mind of the Lord's Prayer and to wrestle with them? How hard do you suppose it was to pray, Thy kingdom come? Knowing that for that prayer to be answered, he would have to go to Calvary for that to happen. Yet that's how he prayed. He prayed the prayer and went to the cross. In Luke's shorter version of the Lord's Prayer, the petition, your kingdom come, is followed immediately by give us each day our daily bread. And the two are linked. The first petition is a prayer for the final and ultimate coming of God's kingdom into the world. The second is a prayer for the daily bread we need to eat, the daily resources we need to make it through each day until God's kingdom comes. Your kingdom come until then... 
Give us the bread we need to make it through to that point in time. And at the Last Supper, Jesus says, I'm not going to eat this Passover again until it finds fulfilment in the kingdom of God. Won't drink wine again until the kingdom of God comes. He knows he's reached the end of his journey. He won't be eating daily bread again until he eats it with us and you in the kingdom of God. For him, the time has come to die. The next time he shares a meal will be with all of us in the presence of his Father as he confers the kingdom he's won upon his followers. Give us this day our daily bread. Thy kingdom come. And this cup that he asks would be taken away from him in the garden, is that associated in somehow with this cup, which is the new covenant in his blood, this cup that he shares with his followers that night, this cup that represents his death for the sins of the world? Maybe so. It's a cup that he drank so that we might be saved. And then in the Lord's Prayer, we've done Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who's indebted to us. Jesus, we're told, committed no sin. So what need did he have of asking for forgiveness? Clearly he didn't. Yet Jesus conforms here with a pattern of praying for the forgiveness of others that's found in the Old Testament, where even though the one praying for forgiveness has done nothing wrong, they stand in absolute solidarity with those who have sinned and pray, forgive our wickedness and our sin. That's how Moses prayed after the Israelites adopted the golden calf, when they turned aside from the Lord to idolatry and they they made this, this... idle as their God. Moses had no part in that. He was up the mountain talking to God. Yet he stands in absolute solidarity with the people. Forgive our sin and our wickedness, he says. If you're not prepared to forgive the people, then blot my name out of the book of life together with theirs. Though he himself had done nothing wrong, he stands shoulder to shoulder with those who had sinned, identifies himself completely with them and prays, forgive our wickedness and our sin. And after Moses, we see Nehemiah doing the same thing. We see Daniel doing the same thing. We see Jesus doing the same thing. Forgive us our trespasses. Because he has identified himself completely with us taking upon himself our flesh and blood, standing alongside the sinful people waiting to be baptised by John the Baptist, one of them, taking the sin of the world upon himself as he's crucified upon the cross. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He identifies himself with us in our sinfulness and takes our place on the cross, bearing our sin, dying our death, and giving us instead his righteousness, his forgiveness, his life. Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive 
all those who are indebted to us. And so he prays on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And whatever you might say about Jesus, he lived out his prayers in practice. He walked the talk. No telling other people they needed to forgive and then refusing to do so himself. A man of absolute integrity. As he tells his disciples to forgive those who have sinned against them. He seeks forgiveness for those who have tortured and crucified him. Praying for the forgiveness of those responsible for his death, for inflicting on him all the pain and suffering he had been so desperate to avoid. Father, forgive them. It's a prayer that that comes straight out of that line in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. I pray it cost Jesus so much to pray. And then Luke twice has Jesus telling the disciples to pray, don't fall into temptation. Watch and pray so that you don't fall into temptation. And that line also is straight out the Lord's Prayer, the last line. Lead us not into temptation, he says. I don't know what kind of things you might be trying to avoid when you pray that line in the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation. don't particularly want to know if I'm honest but I'm fairly sure that Jesus has something different in mind when he's told his disciples that night that they should not fall into temptation. Maybe he had in mind the temptation not to respond to the threat of violence with violence. Or the temptation to abandon him. Or the temptation to deny him at the crucial point. Or the temptation to abandon all hope and faith and yield to despair. Those are the kind of temptations the disciples were to face that night. And they all failed. They all gave in to the pressure of temptation. Had they stayed awake and prayed in the garden as Jesus urged them to, might those prayers have been answered? Or maybe Jesus was thinking of something quite different because the word translated temptation here can also mean trial. Jesus uses the word this way in Luke chapter 22, verse 28, when he says that up until this point, at least, the disciples have stood alongside him in his trials, in his tribulations. The word is the same, not temptations, but in his trials and difficulties, they have been there with him. And if that's how Jesus uses the word in Gethsemane, he's, praying to, he's telling them to pray that they might avoid being put to the test, that they might be tried, that they might undergo tribulation, because he knew they weren't ready to face it. Any trial of their faith at that point in time, they would fail. They simply weren't ready to undergo any kind of suffering or or tribulation and he urges them to pray that they would avoid it, that they would escape it. But that's his concern for them. He tells them to pray. Stay awake. Pray that you don't fall into temptation. Pray, don't bring us to the time of testing. But that's not a prayer. He's praying for himself. Because he knows that for him the time has come to face that testing, to face that trial. He can't pray, lead me not into a time of testing and deliver me from evil, because he knows that Judas is coming. 
and he knows and dreads the trial that awaits him. But it's a trial that can't be avoided if the Father's will is to be done and the kingdom is to come. Because only by going through that trial is it going to be possible. Only by going to the cross will the Father's name be honoured as holy. So when you set the Lord's Prayer alongside the prayer that Jesus is praying in Gethsemane, you see ways in which, yeah, the Lord's Prayer is reflected in his own prayer, and yet ways in which his own prayer on that occasion is different from the Lord's Prayer, because that's how prayer works. Prayer is not a matter of kind of running through the lines and saying them and thinking, yeah, okay, that's done, that's ticked off for the day. It is a matter of reflecting on them and embracing them and trying to find out what they mean for us in that situation. Which bits can we use? Which bits do we need to challenge and question and try and find our way through? And we see Jesus wrestling with the Lord's Prayer in Gethsemane in such anguish that Luke says his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And although the cup doesn't pass from him, an angel is sent to strengthen him in his hour of need, and in this way, to this extent, his prayer is answered. So yeah, we see Jesus as a man of prayer throughout Luke's Gospel, but in Gethsemane, we see the reality of difficult prayer, anguished prayer, struggling and wrestling in prayer, where what is on our heart doesn't quite square with what we know we've got to face, where the Lord's Prayer challenges what we want, and it's difficult. Because the clash for Jesus that night was between the familiar words which he himself had used so often, and which he taught others to use, and his own longing and desire and dread and the will of God for him at that time. The path he had to walk, the cup he had to drink. He couldn't just pray the Lord's Prayer as given and taught. Wrestled with it. Grappled with it. Find a way through that night to make it his own. Prayer is anything but easy. Sometimes we find it difficult to get down to it at all. Gethsemane shows us that when we really need to pray, prayer can be phenomenally costly. Yet Jesus could never have faced the cross as he did without spending that time praying in the garden. That was the crucial time for him. Because he wrestled in prayer. When Judas came, he was ready. So maybe there is just one simple lesson to take from this passage. Whatever it is you face, however daunting it might be, however much it fills you with dread, however hard it is, face it with Take the Lord's Prayer, use it, wrestle with it, find out how to adapt it to your situation. But stay awake and pray. And God will be with you and bring you through. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at the events of this coming week in your life and your suffering and death, we find it hard to come to terms with sometimes. 
And in Gethsemane, we see that you did too. Thank you that even in your sinless perfection, you wrestled with dread and with anguish. And thank you that you went to the cross. That you did what needed to be done. That you found strength to face that. And Lord, you've called us to take up our cross and follow you. Not at the moment in particularly big or costly ways, but help us, Lord, to follow you. To take up our cross. Help us, Lord, to pray as you prayed, not just mouthing the words, but in our hearts and in our minds, finding out what it means to embrace the will of God, even if that's costly and difficult. Plant within us that ability to pray as you prayed. And give us, Lord, by your grace, the answers that we need. For we ask it, Jesus, in your name. Amen.